Shalom, James Long. How are you? Shalom, Rabbi Richman. If I were a rich man, that I'm sorry, I shouldn't do that. A little comic relief at the beginning of the show because we're going to need it, I think, today. It's a, this is a it's week, a, a week in which we we refrain from comedy. In fact, by the time our program is on this week, it's probably going to be the eve of Tisha B'Av or yeah. Tisha B'Av proper. And it is such an intense time, Jim. It, and every year that goes by, the, you know, the, um, the pathos and the dynamic uh, becomes stronger and stronger. Yeah. Yeah. I saw one of the other dates that I didn't realize. There's, there's so many things that happened on Tish B'Av. You know, we, we know about the, 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 both of the temples, et cetera, and World War I, the, the, uh, the Spanish expulsion. There was an expulsion by the English in yes. 12, I've forgotten the year, I was going to make 1290. Yeah. 1290. Yeah, Edmund the first, Edward the first, the first Edwardian yes. king. So, yes. and I'm sure there are many others that wait, Crystal, was it Crystalnock? I think. That I, that I don't remember, but um, I see that uh, um, Heinrich Himmler formally, formally received approval from the Nazi party for the final solution on Tisha B'Av in 1941. Um, the deportation of Jews from the Warsaw Ghetto to Treblinka began on Tisha B'Av in 1942. Mm. So many things that happen on this day. What, and how does it even work, the dynamic? You know, the, our Chazal, our, our beloved wise sages teach that because the spies came back on the night of Tisha B'Av and revved the people up into this n- panic, you know, this yeah. national hysteria. And Hashem basically said, because, you know, everything is midah keneged midah, right? Everything in Hashem's, the way that He runs the world is measure for measure. So Hashem said, if you're going to cry tonight for no reason, in the future you'll, you'll have a reason to cry on this night. And, and God is not vindictive, and he's not, he, he's not out to get us, you know. He's all, he's the, uh, on the contrary, this month is called the month of the compassionate father. But I think the idea is that if there is going to be retribution, which you deserve, if there is going to be a pattern that you do not learn from your own history, which is the worst thing of all, if there is going to be a reason to cry, then it will be on that, on that night, because that's the way history works. Yeah. That's the, there is a reciprocity even in the, in, the, in the vehicle history itself. And so this day became etched into the consciousness of the Jewish people as the bleakest, as the most difficult, as the, as the most horrific, right? That first of all, I've spent 30 years of my life beating people over the head, trying to get them to understand what the temple is all about. Again, you know, like I always say, that it's not about a building, that it's about the concept of the level on which we were created to live in terms of our relationship with Hashem and the, and the level of humanity in, in this world. That's what the loss of the temple is all about. And you're fond of quoting the... the, the, the Teaching from the Midrash Rabbah that if the if the non-Jews, if the nations would have understood how important the temple is to them, not only would they not have destroyed it, but they would have surrounded it with fortresses to protect it. It's this everything that the Prophet Haggai talks about, everything that the Prophet Isaiah talks about in terms of all of humanity being focused as on, on the on the energy of that place and really living in, in harmony. And and the thing is, you know what is amazing is that the world is on its side, Jim. The world is on its side. It's like, I'm sure that, 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 that you know, this is our generation, so this is the way that we feel about it. And I'm sure in previous generations, people have, have also felt that, that everything was haywire. But it, isn't it getting worse and worse? 
and, and commensurate to the technology that we have and to the global electronic village and to social media and to the way that people are able to relate and find things out and to the manipulation of the media and to the crisis of leadership, aren't things worse? Oh, they, in they, a way, don't they, they, they seem I mean, worse? I, I mean, we, you know, you and I grew up, I, I know I, I was very much a, a child of the 60s. Actually, I was a, I was a teenager in the 60s. But, I was a child. You, okay. were, you were a teenager. Yeah. I'm, and that's just to make it clear, everybody, I'm an old man, okay? <laughs> but the, um, and I hope this is the, the white hairs or, or hairs of, uh, white hairs of wisdom. But the thing is, I thought things were turned upside down in, in the 60s. But, you know, the thing is, when you, look, when you look at history, just, we don't even have to enumerate what's going on in today's world. And it's global. It, and of course, it's worse in the so-called developed countries. That's what's interesting. The, the developed countries, the modern, the more modern countries. Uh, but I'm, I'm talking. I was. We had some young guys at the house helping us uh, do some cleaning outside, and and it's amazing just talking to somebody that that young today. You, they they don't understand the dynamic of, of the change. And one thing I want to say. Before I forget it, you that I I think is worth sort of uh, de- taking a little bit deeper dive into it. And you pointed out that you know that Hashem you know loves us and Hashem is is fair, and that you talked about this this dynamic this this sort of cycle that is set up. And what people I think need to remember is God set it up that way so that goodness would would grow and that goodness exactly. would recycle and that that but that God made that mechanism in the universe the entire the, the way the universe works Hashem set it up so that we would enjoy good and propagate it but that same mechanism is literally what makes history do what it's doing right now I, I almost liken it to like a, a tear in the fabric of the universe that has to be repaired or something so the ba- this is what we always talk about. The basis of everything, the basis of all creation is Hashem's kindness and, as, and Hashem's desire, as it were, to bestow goodness upon the recipient, which is man. But the only problem is, I mean, it's, it's really our problem and it's our blessing as well. Yeah. The issue is that it's all dependent on our free choice. Yes, exactly. And we never say that enough. So it's all about free choice. So the, but the thing is, Jim, when I, I don't know what you're talking about exactly without mentioning specifics when we talk about what's going on in the world, but... What I'm talking about is I personally have a very low thre- tolerance threshold for evil. Sure. I can't stand evil. You know, sue me. I'm sorry. I have a very hard time yeah. looking, at, at looking at acts of wanton evil in the face. And that's what's going on today. There's so much evil. And it's man's choice as well. People ha- have that choice. It's blatant. It's, it's it, blatant. It is blatant. It is blatant. But the thing is this, getting back to Hashem, you know, he, the, the world is perfect as far as Hashem is concerned because he, this is exactly what he had in mind, meaning that people should be able to make their choice. Mm-hmm. The thing is there's so much going on now. Just, of course, I'm thinking a lot about everything that people are reading about in Israel that they have no idea what they're reading about when they right. read about the unrest and they read about the social, the social um, confrontations, you know, in terms, of, in terms of what's going on in the fabric of society. And, and I'm looking about, at that in a, in a different way and I can easily tie that also into the whole concept of what I think Tisha B'Av is really all about. But the idea is there, 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 there's so much going on, and we could look at it like, if I want to look at it in the perennial um, uh, viewpoint of 
the historical concept of Tisha B'Av and the, and the mourning and the idea that, you know, that if we don't learn from history, we're condemned to repeat it. And the, and the, and the tragedy of Tisha B'Av, there's so much tragedy that befell our people. That's one way of looking at it. The other way of looking at it is for me to understand, you know what? Hashem has a plan. And, what's, and, and to be optimistic and to realize what's going on in the world today is to, is to believe in Hashem and to know that everything that we're witnessing here is part of a, a, a new paradigm. And that's really how I understand what's going on now and, and, and you know, to, be, to be able to calm oneself down and one's family and, and, and one's students and others and, and be able to explain what's going on is really so clear and that is that Hashem himself is changing the game. And you can't deny that. He, the, he is shifting gears. There is something going on now. And you know that the sages of old in the Talmud, they talk about the days of the coming of the Mashiach. And, and one opinion is, you know, bring it on. The other opinion is, you know what, bring it on. But I, I don't know if I could be there to see it because I don't know if I have the strength to have to deal with what's going to be going on there. It's raw. Mm-hmm. It's visceral. It's in your face. It's a challenge. It's being... It's being uh, held and uh, what is the expression to be on the carpet and have the carpet pulled out from under you and you have to make a quick decision about whose side you're on yeah. I feel like we've been saying this for years that the time is coming when people have to make a decision about what side they're on but right now it's like out with the old mm-hmm. and in with the new Hashem is making uh, it, it, it's also it's the emperor's new clothes everywhere in every country in the world it's the emperor's new clothes and everyone that has eyes to see can see that there is no leadership at all, no. that it's all a sham, that it's like, it's like those, you know, the old Hollywood westerns where they would build a town that was paper thin, right? You build, you build a street with storefronts and everything like that, and it's, there's nothing there. Right. It's just an illusion, right? That's like everything is being exposed to, to just being an illusion. It's because Hashem is obviously preparing us for the next stage of history. And if he chose us and our souls to be here at this time, he must think a lot of us. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's, if you look at what's going on in Israel, it is crystal clear to, to all of us who have eyes to see that uh, God is showing us that, and this, is, this would be kind of stark for some of our listeners uh, who are patriotic, and it has nothing to do with patriotism. It has something to do with truth, which Hashem is the author of all truth. And that is, is that Hashem is showing Israel that it will never work as a democracy. It will. That is that is correct. Democracy is a pretty word. It doesn't appear in the Torah, and it, it's it's it doesn't work for the Jewish people. You know why? Because to, because you know I don't have to say pardon me because it's the truth. Because Torah says that what the Jewish people need is a monarchy. Yeah. Because they're stiff-necked and they're difficult and they all want to be king. And Torah established that the Jewish people need a monarchy. And at the head of that monarchy is Hashem. Amen. And then he has an agent who represents his will. He's a regular human being. That's the king of Israel and that's the Mashiach. And he sees to it that Hashem's will is, is upheld. And everything that's going on now also is an aspect of that. And, you know, what should I say? Don't get me started. I know everybody is really would like to understand what they read about that's and how it's being portrayed in the media, which is completely distorted, uh, the whole idea of the judicial reform, etc. But what it's really all about is extremely this contemporary story of of unrest and and what they're calling civil disobedience, which is really just this 
left leftist force that is a that is an anarchistic force that refuses to to accept really the rule of the people and that really refuses to accept democracy because they want to be in control because there are certain people that are in control and they just don't like the fact that they're that they're being challenged that's what this is really all about but the thing is take it take it to a different place jim take it to the place of the beta migdash mm-hmm. this is what tisha b'av is really all about Right, Tisha B'Av is not about mourning the destruction of a beautiful marble and stone building in which animals were sacrificed and and which there were spiritual experiences. The Beit Hamikdash is about the people of Israel. It's about what the prophets are telling us is that this whole world is somehow off balance. The color is gone. Everything is muted. We are not living according to, the, to the, the, the level that Hashem created us to be on. Because of the fact that the divine presence is hidden, we are not connected. The purpose of life is, 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 is not even understood by people anymore, which is the knowledge of Hashem, being close to Hashem, knowing that there's only one, as Moshe tells us in this week's Torah portion of Va'ed Kanan. And here's the problem on, on, on one foot. I, I, want to, I want to explain it to you this way. Um, we had a beautiful class yesterday in our Zoom group, Anybody that wants to join us on Zoom, just email me at rabbi at rabbirichmond.com. We have a wonderful family, the Jewish Lives community. We just started the book of Job. Sefer Eov, we had two lessons so far. It's the most difficult book of the whole Tanakh to understand, and it's very apropos to be discussing in the framework of Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, because Job is, of course, about the angst of human suffering and um, good people that are that feel that they're being uh, dealt an unjust hand, you know. So you have this character of Job, who is universally recognized as being very righteous. And, his, and as far as he's concerned, he never sinned in his whole life. And then when he is beset with all of these problems and all of these, uh, all of these disasters, his whole thing really is that, how could this happen to me? How could, how could this happen? He believes in God very deeply. It's not that he doesn't believe in God, and that, that's never a question. And so it's the, it's the odyssey, the spiritual odyssey of a person who deeply believes in God, but yet feels that that God is running the world unjustly, right? Yeah. So, that, so then the first speaker, of the friends of his that come to console him, you know, the first one is Eliphaz, Eliphaz the Temanite. And he, he starts speaking. And he starts like to, to tell him off, like first gently, and then more strongly, you know, like, uh, because Job himself was a person who, you, who would always rebuke others and try to strengthen their faith. And then Eliphaz is basically saying, and, and I'm talking about the very beginning of the book, like the, the first four or five chapters, Eliphaz is basically saying, you know, like just because one thing happens to you, so are you, gonna, are you gonna be broken? But what he's really trying to say to him, what he, what he continues and saying, I feel it's just so apropos in, an, in, a, in a word, in one sentence, it's like, you're talking as if God is the problem, but God is the solution, Eliphaz is trying to tell Job. God is not the problem. God is the solution. That's exactly on a global level, on a personal level, on the level certainly of the nation of Israel and everything that we're going through now and the, and the attitude that people have. It's like if I try to talk to a totally secular person now about the Holy Temple, you know, if the person has has deep rooted Jewish feelings, you know, then they th- that they're in touch with and that they're not ashamed of, they may say, "Yeah, we really do need to build the temple." I don't know what it's all about. I don't know what it means. I just know that there is something missing and that that's our destiny. And then you might have a person who might say, "That's so totally ridiculous. What has to do with 2023? It's not apropos. You know, it's, it's ancient history and it's primitive and all that kind of thing." But yet they're in the streets 
talking about leadership, talking about what they think democracy is, and all of this kind of thing. But this is the answer. The answer is that Hashem is supposed to be in the center of everything. We are never supposed to allow ourselves to be disconnected from the reality of the one God of Israel. In this week's Torah portion, one of the most beautiful portions, right? One of the most compelling portions in Parshat Ve'ed Kanan, you know, Moshe gives this whole review and he's speaking about the experience at Mount Sinai and everything the Jewish people have been through. And he says, you know, and he says, um, uh, has, there, has there ever been a people who heard the voice of God speaking from the midst of the fire as you have heard and survived? Or has any God ever miraculously come to take for himself a nation from amidst a nation? A beautiful, beautiful descriptions. And in the end, he says, you have been shown in order to know that Hashem, He is the God. There is none beside Him. So in our video this week, I have a whole teaching that I want to share just about those simple words. There is none beside Him. I hope everybody will see that this week, but, but later this week. But for now, suffice it to say, this idea that there is none beside him is really, is really what life is all about, but it's a lifetime to try and internalize what that means. Yeah. And it is, it's not the problem, it's, it's the solution. So I'm saying the, the whole conundrum of con the contemporary observance of Tisha B'Av, look, it's a hard fast day, it's 26 hours. It's hotter than it's ever been in, in, in living memory. And people are talking about how are we gonna fast and how are we not gonna drink? And it's, it's, it's a difficult day, it's a, a heavy day. The tragedy of everything that we have been through is so heavy on the heart. But, 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 but the idea is we are not disconnected from our history, but we are also not stuck there. Right? We're, not, we're not disconnected, but we are going forward. And that's the whole idea about what the rebuilding of the temple means. This is not like something that we are honored. To, you know, it's like Biden stepped down in Israel and he's made this, he, he had this line about how like honoring, honoring, honoring the Holocaust, you know, he made, a, he made a, one of his classic uh, flubs, one of his classic Biden uh, slips of the tongue and he said something about honoring the Holocaust. It's not, a, it's not about honoring the destruction I, and, and, and some people think that that's all the religious people want to do. They're stuck in the past. They want to honor the destruction of the temple. No, it's the, I don't want to honor the destruction at all. I don't want to talk about the destruction. I don't want, I don't want to be stuck there. Yeah. We it's don't want to make that mistake up. again. That's it's about whole... rising up and rebuilding. But, but, yeah. but the translation of that for, for a generation that's disconnected and then it doesn't understand, if I, if I would want to tell this younger generation, it's about rising up and rebuilding, don't you know? And they'll say, like, what are you talking about? I'll say, well, go out in the street and look what's going on. That's your answer. This is not what it's supposed to be. There's something terribly amiss, something terribly wrong. And it's, your, and it's Bob Dylan. It's your old world is rapidly changing. Better get out of the new one if you can't lend a hand. That's exactly what this is all about. It's about wanting the world to be the way that it should be. And we are the ones that are responsible. Oops. I didn't ask for that. You know, I didn't get a chance to fill out a form. But, but in this parsha, also, again, Hashem says, For you are a holy people to Hashem your God. Hashem your God has chosen you to be for a treasured people above all the peoples that are on the face of the earth. It's so awkward. <laughs> it's such an awkward moment. Should I be embarrassed? I didn't. I didn't ask for it. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'll go in the back and stay out of the way. I didn't ask to be treasured or, or cherished, but what it doesn't mean, again, and I always say, it's not about being like in the frequent flyer club, a platinum member. It's not about perks. It's about responsibility for the world. That's what it means to be a Jew. It means that you are the bottom, the, the buck stops here, that we are. That's what Auschwitz is all about. We are responsible for the whole world. Yeah. Well, the, the other, one of the main... Uh, 
uh, teachings in this parsha, and I hope I, I'm not jumping ahead of you. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I can't push it away as you're talking about these things. Is is the laying of tefillin, and excuse the pun, but everything that you just said for for the 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 observant Jew, and really this should be for any Jew is the fact that the laying of all the concept that you just talked about, about the Exodus, about the temple, about living daily and being reminded that you are of this nation that God established at Sinai, is literally tied up. It ties all those things, those concepts together and and in the laying of the tefillin so that so that the, the Jewish man will remember what it's all about. You know, what's it all about? You know, but I, I couldn't, uh, I mean, it, uh, it invoked that idea when you, you mentioned yeah, the, these the, concepts. The, because the, 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 the parchments these, that declare the these things, that, the Shema, that are that. they are bound, literally bound to us. Yes. They are literally bound to us. Yeah. They are opposite the heart and yeah. opposite the, the brain. The mind. That we have to take the, those human faculties and elevate them to Hashem. Amen. But I, I, I'm saying, I'm saying, you know, the upheaval that are, is going on in Israel is is another facet of Israel searching for its identity, of a process of of sifting, of of of, of clarification that's going on, and it's so clear to every optimist in Israel mm-hmm. that we're simply living through the, the the beginning of a new age. It's very exciting yeah. <laughs> because Hashem is shifting gears. But but the the secret of social justice. The secret of compassion, the secret of the rectification of society, and the elevation of all mankind, and peace on earth, if I can throw that in, is the holy temple. Yeah. And this is what Hashem tells us himself. What does is, what is the Haggai, the prophet, say? In this place, I will grant peace. Yeah. The, the, what I see is an extension of the eternal wrestling match between Esau and, and Yaakov. The, the, uh, so, so I just say that, that I'm not comparing the leftists in Israel to Esav, but they're yearning to be like Esavian nations. They want to be like the Western world. And and the, the business of Israel as a people is not, they're to be separate from the nations. They're not supposed to be like the nations. And the, these, these, the, the people that voted in this new government, for better or for worse, represent people who want Israel to do, to, to follow a path that is their own, Without the influence of America, which is, you know, we know that uh, a specific person is named as spearheading this thing. He planned it three years ago, and everything he wanted to do, he got financing from America to do it. So to me, this is Esav wrestling with Yaakov again. 100%, 100%, Jim. Again, all of these concepts, they, they tie in. And the secret to everything is the Holy Temple. Amen. I got, I got to tell you, the, the parasha Ve'etchanan, I, I know that you know this, Ve'etchanan, this, the, 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 our second Torah portion in the book of Devarim, is exquisite. Mo, again, Moshe, that person who, that man of God who was shy about speaking publicly, he is just a, a fountain of the, of the most beautiful praise of Hashem and everything that he's saying here. And he says, I implored Hashem at that time, He's talking about when Hashem first made the decree on him that he can't enter into the land. And he says, Va'et Hanan, the root of that word is, 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 uh, is, uh, to, is to plea, it's a compassionate plea, and it's, an, it's, an, it's a request for grace. I implored Hashem at that time, saying, Hashem Elohim, you have begun to show your servants, 
your greatness and your strong hand. For what power is there in the heaven and on the earth that can perform according to your deeds and according to your mighty acts? Hashem told him, He's speaking about when Hashem told him back in Parshat Chukat in the book of Numbers that he will not be going to the land because of what happened at the, at the, the water. So Moshe is explaining, I prayed to Hashem and I begged him, let me go in. And so first of all, as you know, this word va'etchanan has a numerical equivalent of what? 515. Five, 515, yeah. right? So there is a concept that the Holy Ramchal and other great Kabbalists talk about that Moshe Rabbeinu prayed 515 prayers. 515 prayers to be able to come to Israel. Mm-hmm. All different and all expressing his heart and all the reasons that he wanted to come. And, and Chazal, our sages tell us famously that if he would have prayed one more prayer, that would have been like the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back and Hashem wouldn't have been able to refuse. And so that's why it says in, in verse 26, but Hashem became angry with me because of you and he did not listen to me. And Hashem said, it's too much for you. Do not continue to speak to me further about this matter. Meaning don't, don't do the one more prayer, right? So he so badly wanted to come in, right? Here's one of my favorite books, right? This is a, a very holy Kabbalistic work. It's called Megale Amukot, which means the, the revelation of, of hidden things. And it's written by one Rav Natan Nata Shapiro, who was the chief rabbi of, 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 of um, I believe it was um, Krakow. Ah, uh, Poland, um, yeah. Yes, Krakow, and I think it was the 1500s. And this book is called 252 Explanations on Parshat Ve'etchanan, right? That's what the book is called. But the entire book, from start to finish, is 252 reasons, secret reasons, why Moshe wanted to come into Israel. And, and what was one of them is that it, it, it had nothing to do with him? None of them had anything to do with him. It had nothing Absolutely. to do with him. Absolutely. None, none of it had anything to do with him. For years I read this rabbi and I thought... I don't blame him. You know, he really, really wants to to go in there and all that. And then the more he wants to do the mud bath in Eilat, right? He wants to do the the Dead Sea float. Yeah, he wants to do the hotels. No, yeah, no. He he. he, This is remarkable. And you know, the the key to this is you know that it's 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 in his heart is for the nation of Israel has nothing to do with him because what this hit me the other night is that. He is so in tune with the will of Hashem that Hashem said, okay, you speak now. I mean, that's remarkable when you think about it. And it is because he saw, of course, Hashem sees our heart. And he knew that he knew that it was there was nothing selfish in this constant prayer, this 515 prayers. I'm telling you that and, and this this whole holy book, it's so holy, it's all insights into the tikkunim. The cosmic rectifications that Moshe wanted to do, for, not for his own sake. That's why he begged Hashem to be able to come into the land. So he says here, you know, I, I, was, I implored Hashem, and he said, when, what did he say? He said to Hashem, let me now cross and see the good land that is on the other side of the Jordan, this good mountain and the Lebanon. Yeah. And so Rashi tells us famously, what is, it, what is he talking about here? He says, let me see the good mountain and the Lebanon. The good mountain is Jerusalem, is an allusion to Jerusalem. And the Lebanon is an allusion to the temple, the holy Amen. temple. Let me see Jerusalem and the holy temple built because the root of Lebanon, and it's a word that also appears in the Song of Songs, the root of Lebanon is Lavan, 
white. white. Yeah, yeah. So Chazal say, what is the what is the illusion? The Holy Temple is called Lebanon. It's called Lebanon because it whitens the sins of Israel. It's a whitening, a lightening agent. What does that mean? Does it mean simply the idea that the offerings are brought there, and therefore it's a whole system of atonement? The best way that I ever that I ever saw someone explain the concept of atonement is breaking it up into the words at one mint, right? The idea is it's about, what goes on in the temple is about fixing man. It's about realigning his brain and putting his awareness of God at the center because everything, everything, everything is awareness of God. That's what Moshe says twice in this Parsha, that there is none other. And again, that's the whole point of everything. And that's also the whole point of what's going on out in the streets in Israel now as well. Is that's what the, Whether they know it or not, whether it is a subliminal knowledge, I believe it is, I believe it's a holy spark that every Jew feels, it's about, what am I doing in this world? That's what, that's what Tisha B'Av is begging us to answer. What do, you, what do you want? Do you want another strip mall? Do you, you, know, do you want another, another theater? What is it that you want? What, what is it that you're looking for? So Moshe is already alluding to that, and it's amazing. Again, it's always divine synchronicity. I never, I never tire of pointing that out, that here in this week of Tisha B'Av, and we read Parshat Ve'et Hanan, Moshe, in the very beginning of the Parsha, is saying, I, I wish I could see the Holy Temple, right? That's like the secret of everything. I have to tell you, you know that I have an affinity for Robert Frost. Oh, yes. You know, through some cosmic accident, my soul, having descended to this world as a child in New England, you know, and he's the poet laureate, of course, of New England. Robert yeah. Frost was a very great poet, if not a very disturbed person, but he was a very, very great man. You know that Robert Frost had a relationship with a rabbi? No. It's not, well, it's not well known. Wow. And this is very cool. Robert Frost, first of all, was an Old Testament Christian. Mm-hmm. That's, how he de- that's how he defined himself. He really liked the Old Testament better than the new one. He writes about it all the time. He had a certain kind of attitude about God, and, it, and he felt that it was a very Old Testament kind of God, whatever that means. Anyway, he had a, he had a relationship with a uh, reform rabbi in Connecticut whose name was Victor Reichert. And they became very close. And there's a very, very beautiful little book that was published uh, in um, 1994 called The Rabbi and the Poet. Very hard to get. You won't find one. This might be the last one. And it's published by, you can look, (laughs) it's published by Andrew R. Marks. It's just a really, really beautiful memoir about the relationship of these two men and the insights that this rabbi, a reform rabbi, gave um, Robert Frost from the Talmud and, and a Jewish perspective of life and, and the interaction that they had. And it's really, really so beautiful. It's just a, a, a treasure, especially for those that like um, Robert Frost and Reform rabbis. Anyway, why do I bring him up? Because he wrote such amazing things, but he wrote one very, very short poem. I don't know how famous it is. It's not one of his most famous. It's not like uh, The Road Not Taken or uh, Mending Wall Wall or Nothing Gold Can Stay, all of which I can recite by heart. However, there is another one I'll recite for you by heart, which is very, very short, and it goes like this. It's called The Secret. And it goes like this. The Secret. Excuse me. I'm messing it up. Here it is. It's called The Secret. (laughs) The next thing that you're about to hear is The Secret. It goes like this by Robert Frost. We all dance round in a ring and suppose, but the secret sits in the middle and knows. And that's all. <laughs> that was my introduction. And the secret is the holy temple. 
And the secret of the Holy Temple is in the middle of everything. And so occasionally, like during this time of year, when it becomes more politically correct to talk about it, to mention it, because everybody knows that this is our cycle of mourning, and we deserve to mourn, don't we? We deserve to be miserable, don't we? We deserve to commemorate the destruction, don't we? So now it's okay to like, you know, like, mourn, right? But the point is that's not what the secret is all about. The secret is what Moshe saw in gazing into the future. He saw that this is the place that, that realigns everything because it focuses our attention on Hashem. And, without, and this is the secret that I, wanna, I want to give over to all the people that are in the streets talking about the, social, the, the, the judicial reform and the nonsense that they think that left is right and right is left and, and, what, and, all, and, all, of the, and all of the lies that have been incorporated into what's going on by, by the processes that you describe, began to describe. What I want to tell them is the, the secret of everything is Hashem. Hashem. The secret of everything is Hashem, and that's the solution, not the problem. And until we're on that page, we are we're not connected, and we're always going to be just in this flotsam and jetsam of, of uh, angst because we're not, we're not alive even without that that's what that's what this season is really all about it's it's not a yes it's about the building yes it's about the holy temple yes it's about the honor of hashem yes it's about the travesty of the temple mount yes it's about the ongoing destruction yes it's about anti-semitism it's about the holocaust about destruction it's about everything we've been through it's about righting all of those wrongs but it's much more than that at the same time it's what kind of a world do you want and i feel that that is coming to the surface like a pus pimple that's being popped, that people are, can't hide from that anymore. That's what's going on. I look at the face of evil all over the world. I look at the horrible stories of what's going on in America in every small town, the murders and the rapes and what people are becoming. And it's, what can I say? This is, this is not the world that we, that we were meant for. Well, the good news is that these, these two divided peoples in, in Eretz Israel right now, the good news is they both want change. They both want change. This is, this is what's going on. The problem is that the, the divide comes from the fact that one side really does know what it wants, and the other side is just yearning for some kind of change, and they don't, I, I think they don't know what they want. And they're being manipulated. They're being manipulated. So that there, there's that expression again. They're basically, they are thought of as being useful idiots mm-hmm. because they're, they're, at, they're, they're, they're um, clamoring about something that they don't even understand. No. They're talking about democracy when actually if, if that would be something that would be desired, the, the Supreme Court here is not democratic in the least bit. It's no. completely despotic. And so the judicial reform is the only, the only chance of, of getting some sort of semblance of, of real democracy there. But that's another story altogether. Is that really the goal? Is that really the goal? Or is the goal simply to, to, to bring down the, the coalition? I'm not saying that, it's, that it is, but it's at least seen as being more traditional, more committed to the authentic values of the land of Israel. All of these things are intertwined, and again, at, at this, the secret, at the heart of it all, is what the Jewish people are supposed to be when they, when they grow up. That's what this is all about. The timing is so exquisite when Moshe, in the background, Moshe saying oh, his whole Torah now these, during these weeks, and now this month, it's, it's, it's so exquisite, and it's so optimistic, and it's so obvious that Hashem is, 
is literally not just tapping us on the shoulder, but he's embracing us and, t- and telling us, you know, this, th- these are the good old days. This is the time of your life now to make the proper decisions. I'm speaking with one of my most beloved teachers on the phone just today, Rabbi Nachman Kahana. And he, he made Aliyah in the early 60s, like 64 or 63. And he was telling me about living in Netanya and, and the outbreak of the Six-Day War, like the first couple of days of the Six-Day War. Do you know that the, in the very beginning here in Israel, when the Six-Day War broke out, the situation looked horrific. It looked very, very bleak. And they had plans in Tel Aviv to turn like one of the largest parks in the city to, into a mass graveyard. They were expecting so many, tens of thousands of casualties. It was, it was just uh, so bleak. And people were leaving Israel by the droves at that time. People were leaving in the very, very beginning. First, first day or two, people were leaving, and it was like, it was a horrific situation. And he told me how he was sitting on the couch, a young man at that time, sitting on the couch with his wife saying, you know what? We're staying in Eretz Israel, even if, if we die here. It's better to die in Eretz Israel than to leave. And like two days later, all of a sudden, Jerusalem was liberated and unified. And all of a sudden, the state of Israel was, was, um, had dominion over the biblical heartland and, and, and Jerusalem. And everything changed in an instant. And that's exactly the type of, of, of feeling that, that we have now. You know, it's like... What is that line from Shakespeare? They were the worst. Of, they were the best of times. The worst of times. No, these are the best of times. But a person has to really be connected to the whole spectrum of Jewish identity to be able to see that. And and you know, again, back to the secret sitting in the middle. You know what this is all bringing us back to: the month of the compassionate father. So first of all, the lesson there is profound, and that the fact you know we, we give the month a nickname and we call it Av because it's just easier, which in itself is very beautiful because it's called Father. But the full name of the month is Menachem Av, which means the compassion, the consoling Father. And so even when it comes to the Chorban, to the destruction of the Temple, and to everything that is part of that, the whole the whole composite history of the Jewish people and all of the things that became part of Tisha B'Av, all of the disasters that we've been through. It's all a father who is calling his children back to him. What, what does Moshe say in this very Parsha? It's unbelievable. He, there's the prophecy here, his prophecy of exile and return in the fourth chapter, in Parshat Ve'etchanan, the fourth chapter of Deuteronomy. And, in, and, and, and he speaks about the exile, and he speaks about, you know, Hashem will lead you to all these other places, and there you will serve gods, the handiwork of man, of wood and stone, which do not see, do not hear, and do not eat, and do not smell. And then Moshe says in verse 29, from there you will seek Hashem, your God, and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and all your soul. When you are in the distress and all these things have befallen you, at the end of days you will return unto Hashem, your God, and hearken to his voice. That's a promise. That's a promise. And, and, and the whole thing here really is... All of the things that we've been through are part of the process of the, of the, of the Consoling Father. And then the, the thing about this month in general is that it has a dual nature. Because, and, and this is really, if I had to take someone, and some, someone was saying to me, teach me Torah on one foot, like, like Hillel the Elder, right? Hillel the Elder was confronted by a non-Jew and said, teach me Torah while standing on one foot. And he said... You know, what is hateful to, to you, do not do to someone else. All the rest is commentary. Go and learn it, right? I would say, if someone asked me, what is the, what is the whole Torah on one foot? I would say, this is the, this is the shining example, the microcosm of Torah, 
is, the, is this month is called Menachem Av, and that within a few days, within one week, we go from the 9th of Av, which is this Wednesday night, July 26th, right? This is this Thursday. We go from this day of extreme pain and anguish. We go from that to the 15th of Av. And the 15th of Av is a biblical holiday alluded to at the end of the book of Judges. It's the, it's the holiday that took place in the vineyards of Shiloh when the girls of Shiloh would dance in white dresses. The whole concept of the 15th of Av is known today, even in modern Israel, as it's, it's the, like the... Um, this it's like the, Sadie... Um, what do they call it? Um, it's this, like Sadie Hawkins' day. Sadie, it? <laughs> it's the celebration of love, right? It's a love fest, right? Yeah. In, in modern Israel, it's like this. It's, and, and its truth is that it's a day for matrimony, and it's a day for engagements, and it's a day for weddings, and it's my birthday. But why? Yes. <laughs> it's very, very, it's, it's very, I let that out of the bag. It's, I expect a lot of uh, emails, a lot of congr- congratulations. It's very, very deep because according to the Kabbalah, the 15th of Av is one of the primary days in which the third temple could be rebuilt. We won't go there right now. But the idea is that it's a, it's a day that, that reflects the, the, the Talmud and the, towards the end of Tractate Ta'anit gives many different reasons why this day was so special. It has to do, maybe we'll speak about it a little bit more next week, it has to do with themes that are demonstrative of the, of the, of the enduring and eternal love that Hashem has for His people. And it's most beautifully summed up this incredible cycle of going from deep mourning to joy is exactly what is spoken about in, ver- in, in chapter 30 of the book of Psalms, which is the song for the inauguration of the temple, which is actually the psalm that, is, that was sung at the inauguration of the first temple and at the second temple, and that will be sung at the inauguration of the third temple. And Psalm 30 is this, like, this whole encyclopedic portrayal of the human condition. Everything that David describes, that these extreme emotions, I will exalt you for you have drawn me up and not let my foes rejoice over me. I cried out to you and you healed me. You have raised up myself from the lower world. But then, but then in the evening one lays down weeping, but with dawn a cry of joy. I said in my serenity I would never falter. But Hashem, all is through your favor. You supported my greatness and might. You, should you conceal your face, I would be confounded. So there's all these ups and downs. But then at the end... In verse 12, he writes, You have transformed my lament into dancing for me. You undid my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. That actually is a description of this process that we go through from the 9th of Av to the, to the joy of the 15th of Av. And that's all contained within the whole enigma of this month being called the consoling father that in the midst of the tragedy jim this is the parent this is the this is the indefatigable and quintessential quintessential jewish spirit that in the midst of the tragedy that's exactly where the the greatest hope is and there of course we could maybe understand the popular saying that is actually a teaching of our sages, that Mashiach is born on the 9th of Av. Now, is that, is that literal? Is it literal? Is it figurative? Is it an idea that just expresses this quint, quintessential spirit that from the depths of tragedy, hope 
you know, shines forth, or is it actual literal? I don't, I don't know, but it's the same thing. It's the same idea. It doesn't, uh, and the Parsha even wraps up on a very completely, after going on this journey, this visual journey, uh, again, as we pointed out last week, the the uh, Moses' speech is a, is a template for the, the prophets later that would come along, and that is the reproof, the, the review, the reproof, and then the redemption, the redemptive aspect. And, and this Parsha, which is almost like a complete book unto itself, it brings that, and there's even a hint in um, when he speaks of Moses uh, uh, passing away, there is a hint of the resurrection in the verse, because it can be read, and you shall you shall arise. It, it says the people will arise, but Chazal tell us that it actually can be read, and you that the people will arise. So that's that's all of these things that are embedded in there. And um, I don't know. I I, um, I I can I really appreciate the way that you have expounded on this parsha today because I, you've opened it up uh, in a way for me, and I'm sure for the audience in, in a much more hopeful way. I think it's it's all hope. And, yeah. And what else do we have? And we spoke about this a few a few weeks ago, that beautiful verse from Zechariah that we are actually prisoners of hope mm-hmm. and that we are commanded to hope to Hashem every day. That we are that's one of the questions that a person is asked in the coming world when a person passes away. One of the questions that's asked is, Did you hope every day? Not just for the redemption, but for your own personal redemption as well. Yeah. And and I, I think it is uh, also um, you know, part of this whole idea that we're talking about is that in the, in this same parsha, which is which is again so articulate and so beautiful, and so heartfelt. Here we find also um, the Shema, yeah, exactly, which is the declaration of love, the declaration of love, the declaration of of um, Hashem's unity, which is again, it is the most important concept in all of Torah, has yeah. Hashem's unity. It teaches us how and to pray. It teaches us how to pray, and you and you, that you pray out loud, which I think is something that is profoundly uh, intertwined with the the idea of prayer. In fact, uh, I was surprised at how much the the parsha has to test us to say to us about prayer, about the ten kinds of prayer, the ten different phrases or words that that speak of prayer. And the the idea of how we're we're trying we have to pray. When you pray, you you start by thanking Hashem. The many of the sages outline the and I'm being thankful for it. And the other one I love is that it likens uh, it mentions that the katorah the incense is like prayer in that the katorah if it's not uh, if it's not developed if it's not fashioned properly. If it does, if it is not pure, it will not ascend, and that's mm-hmm. the way our prayers should be. Our prayers, we, when we approach Hashem to pray, we pray out loud, and we pray for others. There's a saying I think doesn't the, the sages say that if you pray for for others, your prayer will be answered first. First, right? And that that you when you and our prayer has to be like Moshe's. Moshe's prayer in this parsha is completely pure because it's not for him. This is a really interesting teaching that our sages say, you know, that if that that 
when, when one prays for someone else and they have a prayer themselves, mm-hmm. their, their prayer is, is, is answered when they pray for someone else first. Right. But I might think, well, if I'm like a good like car salesman, <laughs> if I have a quick mind, then I'll like, yeah. you see me winking? I'll pull one over on Hashem yeah. and I'll like, I'll pray for the other person knowing that, well, because my prayer will be answered if I pray for him first. So is that what this is? Like, is this some kind of like a Monty Hall kind of thing? Like, you know, like a, no. So, but what I think what it, what it really is all about is that what does it mean if you pray for someone else first, then your prayer will be answered first? It's like when the person realizes my lacking is because of your lacking. When the person is so connected and sensitive and, and I, can't, I can't go on, I, how could I care about my issue when I see that suffering? That's the person whose prayer is answered because the, the, because the prayer for the other person is really the prayer for himself. Yeah. That's why it's, it's so beautiful. That's why it's like a dictator. There is a purity in actually uh, praying for someone, actually praying for them, actually pleading for them. I've got some issues, but listen, uh, so-and-so, I want to pray for their healing or whatever, their financial and uh, you're right. I mean, when they, that is the, that's what the comparison to the holy incense is for. It will ascend, you know. It's Otherwise, it's like, sadly, it's like you mentioned, the wink of the eye, nudge, nudge. It's like, it's like the offering brought by Cain, you know. I'll just go through the motions right. because that's how right. I'm told this is supposed to work. This is right. the mechanics of it. So, you know, if I follow the directions, everything will come out the way it's supposed to. No. No, it's it's lining up. It's it's praying like Moses. He gives us the example right there. It's beautiful. So, Jim, about Tisha B'Av, you know, again, all these things that happened, and as I mentioned, I, I I can't separate myself from that history. But yet, I it's not only that history, but so many things happened at that time, right? Just the, even to it's, it's like. The temple is really the the beginning of everything, and the mo- and obviously the this the 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 central theme of the ninth of Av is the destruction of the temple and our desire to rebuild it. But when I go back a little further, if I can do some hypno- hypnotic regressive, what is it called, memory, and go back to the, what started the whole thing, which is the spies, it's just overwhelming, the whole pattern, right? And then you talk about all the things that happened on that day. It's chilling. And I realize that this is what the sages say. You know, they say, they say that Hashem said, well, if you're going to be crying on that day and there was no reason really to cry because it's just that you had a crisis in your faith in me and you didn't think that I could see you through and you didn't think that I would really t- take care of you. So then if you feel abandoned, then when that comes up, there, when the scales come to that point and there is retribution, it will be on that day. But looking back at everything, the first temple and the second temple and uh, the Bar Kokhva, Revolt was also put down on Tisha B'Av, where another five hundred thousand Jews <laughs> were murdered, and the First Crusade, and the Jews were expelled from England and from France and from Spain, all on the same day, and the the, the aspects of World War Two, and we didn't even mention the expulsion from Gush Katif, yeah, and the, wow. on the same yeah. day, right? All of these things that happened the same day, it's like I have to take I have to take what I have to take home is that we're not learning from history. That's what I have to take home. I have to take home that there is a template here and that a, a normal person, a normal Jew, 
who loves Hashem and who knows Hashem loves us and he is the compassionate father has to stand up and say, I want this to stop. I want to do my part for this to stop. I want to learn from history. It's, it's, it's it, uh, the tshuva that we have to make, right? Everybody has to do their own repentance, right? But the tshuva that we have to make as a nation on all of this is, is to start learning from our mistakes. And, and again, it, it, how are we looking at everything? And I'm just looking out the window at, the, at what's going on. Is Hashem the problem or is Hashem the solution? Because that one simple, it sounds like very whimsical, but that statement, that's everything. That's the answer. How, however you look at that and answer that is what's going to make all the difference in the world. Yeah. Well, I, I don't want to mi- diminish the power of the day, but I mean, even we know that one of the first things that I learned in, in uh, Judaism that should be an aspect of all of our lives is that, they, is that uh, we're called upon to put limits on mourning. If you continue to mourn, there you, you can't move forward. You can't... Yes. You know, and I think that is why, you know, you brought this up and, uh, a time and time again. And it the wasn't meant to be. A, a, pe- people think, Jewish people think, religious Jewish people think mm-hmm. sometimes. I'm not, it's not a put down. I'm saying that but there is an issue of um, um, cognitive dissonance. Because a lot of people think that it was meant to be a day, a perpetual morning, until Hashem steps in. And changes it, but of course Hashem did step in and change it. So, but you, maybe you were waiting for something of a different level of production. Cecil B. DeMille, I don't know. Maybe you were waiting for 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 some sort of stage lights, but he did step in. That's the whole thing. It wasn't meant to be a day of perpetual mourning. And if a person believes that the destiny of the Jewish people is to rebuild the temple, and it's again, it's not a little thing like a national thing. It's not like I'm going to put the Israeli flag there. That's the place for the Knesset. That's not what this is all about. It's about the world. It's about bringing the concepts of of what the Torah teaches for all of humanity, justice and chesed and, and compassion to the whole world. And that's where it goes forth from, from from Zion shall go forth Torah and the word of God from Jerusalem is talking about Isaiah's prophecy in the in the second chapter is talking about the building of the temple. This was so and strong so if you, for if, me when I first began to come, come to Israel and I would sit at a Shabbat table. Uh, I've often, you know, Baruch Hashem sat at your table and I've always enjoyed it. And, and you've been a, a consummate guest, I must say. And I my wife that. makes I, a special soup I, for you I and a special just, apple pie. I'm on my best behavior when I'm at your table. I, I use all my good. Oh, okay. So anyway, what I was going to say is, is I remember uh, I was at one table, one Shabbat. I was invited, and uh, when I mentioned that you were my rabbi, and I'm just this is very stark. I'm going to say it. there was an attitude of like, oh, and. And it was the first time I realized, I thought, this is, the, and I thought of Tishbaab immediately. And I, and I thought, this is, this is a, a problem that we have to overcome in, in Israel. And this is the idea that, you know, well, you just alluded to it. The, the idea, if you keep mourning for something, then you won't move past what, what the next right. step is. And I'll just leave it at that. I, I was shocked because I, I know that... Uh, because I have learned that I have some people that I'm not so popular with. Okay? <laughs> what are you going to do? It's not a popularity well, concept. I, I, um, the question is, are we bemoaning the temple? Mm. Jim, this is it. Open up your heart in the deepest way. Yes. Are please. we bemoaning the loss of the temple, or are we bemoaning the world without the temple? Yeah. That's the question, because otherwise it's too myopic. Right. And 
I believe that the ultimate expression of Jewish conviction, the ultimate expression of Jewish conviction is to anticipate the rebuilding of the temple. Yeah. But I, I want to say something in this. The House of Prayer for all nations. I mean, my goodness. You said something very profound, I think, or one of us did, <laughs> about, about it not being a day of perpetual mourning. Oh, so then you started to say thing. I just need to share this thought with you, okay? okay? This is it. This is it. We're almost out of time. This is it. This is so deep, but I want to share now. So, you know, when, when you go to a, a shiva house, you know, when a person goes to visit, to console a mourner. So, uh, it's difficult. There's a difficult mitzvah to fulfill, you know, and you have to wait for the person to start speaking, and it's awkward, and, you know, the person has to close the circle, and... And um, and deal with the, with the loss, you know, and in the very beginning of the process of mourning, which is a tremendous um, chesed, you know, the whole the whole halachic Jewish uh, concept of of the mourning ritual is is brilliant, and it has to do with being able to close the circle and being able to come to grips with the reality of the loss and and uh, everything that the mourner goes. Which speaking about a mourner during shiva literally means seven because a, a mourner for one of the immediate seven relatives, more, you know, goes through a process and the, the most intense part is the first seven days. But you know, before the person is buried, before the person is buried, the principal mourner is in a very unusual state of, uh, of being. And there's an idea that, let, let's say, God forbid, a person loses their father. So, and, the, and uh, arrangements have to be made. And of course, we, we know, especially in Eretz Israel, you know that the person has to be buried as, as soon as possible. That's the, that is the honor to, this, to the soul, because the soul can't begin to ascend until the, the body goes down. And so, as opposed to the concept of like laying in state or awake or something like that, according to Torah, burial has to be as soon as possible. But there's an idea that, that and before the burial is able to take place, right, the principal mourner, let's say a, a son lost his father. So what is his situation right now? So he doesn't fast, you know, for example, he, he eats, but he doesn't make a blessing on the food, nor does he put on tefillin or fulfill any of the positive commandments. In other words, he doesn't transgress any negative commandment. He can't eat something that's not kosher, but he doesn't do the positive commandments. He doesn't pray. He doesn't put on his tefillin. He, if he is eating an apple, he doesn't make the blessing on it. He just eats it without the blessing. It's, it's weird, it's uncomfortable, it's awkward, but he doesn't make the blessing. That's, that's the halakha. Why? It's, it's unbelievable. Or does it have a name, is this, this particular state of that stage of mourning before? When, the, the expression is that the, that the body is as if, as, if, as if it's still in front of him, even if it's not in front of him directly, but the idea is until it's buried, he doesn't make a blessing. I'm taking an apple, and I'm going to buy the first time in my life that I'm eating an apple without making a blessing. I'm stealing from Hashem. I know how important a blessing is. Why doesn't he make the blessing, the sages teach? Because the person is, I have a problem with you right now. I was speaking about this a lot in, 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 in the context of our Job class. You know, To be honest, I believe in you. I love you, but I'm not. I'm, get, I'm, I'm getting off this train. Like, I, how could you do this? I, it does not compute. I am, I am having a problem processing this, and I have a problem with you right now, and I can't thank you, really. I can't. I'm being honest. I, I, it's hard for me. I, I need time. 
I need time. I need to get over this. I need to process this. And so right now, you know, I, 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 it would be a bit hypocritical and it would be a bit in, disingenuous for me to say, blessed are you, Hashem, our God, as if nothing happened, because I'm, right now there's a bit of a strain between us, right? So, so take that. That's the, the extreme of the beginning of the process. But at the end of the process of the first week, after the person has been sitting and the receiving visitors who come to console him and to comfort him and he's been externalizing is, is the main concept of what Shiva is all about, externalizing the pain, confronting it, speaking about it, so that the circle can be closed, right? Externalizing it. At the end of that period, it's over. The week is over, right? And then we go into the next period. There's, a, there's the first month and the first and the first 11 months. But it's, 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 and it's time for him to get up now. It's time for him to get up. And so there's a, a tradition that a neighbor has to come. The person is like sitting like on the floor or a low stool. And the neighbor comes and extends a hand and pulls the person up literally when it's time to get up. It's a, it's a, a tradition that someone comes, a relative or a neighbor, and goes over to the person. As soon as the minute comes that it, according to the halakha, now it's time, you've done seven full days, it's time for you to get up. And he pulls the person up off the floor. Why? Because if he didn't, he'd still be sitting there forever. He'd still be sitting there. So the person has to come along in the name of Hashem, in the name of Torah, and say, that's it, until here, until here. You can't, you can't go on like this. You can't stay. This, what I just described, this, these extremes, is this whole thing that we're talking about, about Tisha B'Av. You know, that, that's, that's how it is for us. It's like, I, I can't. And, if, and indeed, on Tisha B'Av morning, it's the only weekday morning of the year, we don't put tefillin on. We don't put tefillin on. We don't put the talit on. The prayers are completely different. And then later, towards the end of the day, we put the tefillin on because you can't have a day without tefillin. So we put them on for the afternoon service. We don't put it on in the morning. The same thing exactly. I'm like, this is not, uh, we have, I have a problem with the I and thou relationship. But then, again, I, I described that process described in Psalm 30. The, the, the month changes, it transitions into a, a recognition of joy and Hashem's compassion. And so the person has to be pulled up because it, it was not meant to be... We were not meant to mourn perpetually. We were meant to internalize the loss and build on it. And so that's my blessing to all of us and to every, all of our listeners and to Am Yisrael and to the whole world, is that we take this pain and we um, weaponize it as it were against the evil in the world against what's holding us back and that we rise up and become the people that we that we need to be again focusing on the fact that everything is from Hashem's compassion everything is Hashem and that Hashem is not the problem the solution and may we be blessed to end the cycle of mourning and to truly deserve in our time to rebuild the holy temple <laughs>